Blog Talk Radio. Donald Trump these days, uh, not always in ways one might expect. 
on the one hand, clearly Trump is engaged in a dog whistle politics, he says, but that's the basis of his entire campaign. Amy Lopez said after a um, presentation last week to union activists in Hartford, at the same time, the media analysis so far is relatively unsophisticated. Um, Trump's campaign is aimed at boosting white voter turnout, turnout in, part, uh, in part by luring the disaffected black back to the roles of the active voters. To do so, Haney Lopez said the presumptive Republican presidential nominee has been coy about his endorsement by an avowed racist, David Duke. He has um, blamed immigrants from Mexico for a host of ills, economic and otherwise, and attacked a federal judge on the basis of his Mexican heritage. And this week, Trump suggested after the Orlando massacre that Obama, President Obama has some dark motive in defending the Muslims whom Trump would bar from the U.S. There's something going on, Trump said. But the professor disagrees with the commentator who dismissed, uh, who dismissed uh, Trump's appeal to many white voters as simple racism. This is not out-and-out racism. It's important that it's not out-and-out racism, because if you think it is out-and-out racism, you can't understand the Trump supporters, Haney Lopez said. They're not uh, racist. They are people who are driven to, by two great fears. One is economic anxiety, and the other surrounds demographic change. And those fears are real, and those fears are legitimate, and we need to think to treat them like they are real and legitimate. To uh, Haney Lopez, this is more important for the left to deconstruct uh, Trump than to denounce him. Um, Haney Lopez is in the most important. Uh, it is most important for the left to deconstruct Trump than to denounce him. Haney Lopez was in Hartford last week in the invitation of Lori J. Pelletier, the president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO. And her, uh, she met uh, Haney Lopez while serving as a member of the National AFL-CIO's Commission on Race and Economic Justice. Pelletier says it is important for union leaders to understand Trump's appeal to working-class whites, including members of the labor movement. At the, state, at the state AFL-CIO political convention last week, one of the workshops was about how to talk to union members about Trump. When I saw Dr. Lopez's presentation for the first time last October, it was eye-opening for me, she said. We often ask ourselves, why do our members sometimes vote against their own best interests? And to me, his, his presentation answered a lot of that. The subtle of dog whistle politics, the subtitle, is uh, how coded racial appeals have reinvented racism and wrecked the middle class. This uh, thesis is that uh, subtle racial, racial appeals have been used since the early 1960s to stroke class resentments, undermine confidence in social programs, and break up the New Deal coalition that serves Democrats and, labors, and labor. Part of the narrative is divide and conquer, Pelletier said, look at what that one uh, is doing over there, not, uh, but not what this one is doing over here. That's something time that what, uh, that's often time what happens with workers. So Amy Lopez brought his PowerPoint presentation about race politics and dog whistles uh, to Hartford. This is not a story of bigotry, he told the labor audience. It's a story of strategy, cold calculating strategy. To win, Trump's probably needs a 65% of the white vote, a significant jump from the 59% that went to Romney in 212. Haney Lopez says the Republican desire to turn out the white vote is obvious, and Gallup um, surveys of 338,000 people in its daily tracking poll of 2012 found non-Hispanic whites accounted for 89% of Republicans self-identifying uh, National, nationwide, wow, compared to 70% for independents and 60% for Democrats. Haney Lopez says the GOP has only grown whiter. Imagine that? Yeah. The tilt is in 1964. Um, yeah. In, uh, you, know, you know what makes me laugh is here. U.S. Gen Senator Barry Goldwater of California 
who had voted for for civil rights legislation in fifty voted against civil rights legislation, not for, uh, was one of the only five senators from outside of the South to vote against the Civil Rights Act of 1964, yeah. Um, the same year, he was the GOP nominee for president. And he lost in a landslide, but established a beachhead in the Democrats, a South, solid South, carrying Louisiana, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina. And, oddly enough, the, the stupidity, of the, the amazing thing about this is uh, Hillary Clinton was a goal, was a was a was a um, Goldwater girl. Yeah, I mean she was an she was anti civil rights back in the '60s. Yes, folks. Yes, she was. She was supporting Goldwater, who was anti civil rights. Ah, Richard Nixon won in 1968 with a Southern strategy that included opposition not to integration but to forced busing and an appeal to law and order voters that suggested that protesters whether for civil rights or against the war in vietnam were simply lawbreakers everybody remembers that yes um kent uh, state 1970 i believe it was in 1980, Ronald Reagan's first speech after the GOP convention was at the Neshoba County Fair, about seven miles from Philadelphia, Mississippi, where three civil rights workers were murdered. He declared, I believe in states' rights. Conservative complaints, conservatives complained that liberals like uh, Haney Lopez wrongly make Reagan appearance, Reagan's appearance at a popular county fair to something nefarious. They, they note that the Democrat Michael Dukakis uh, campaigned at the same fair in 1988, and that, days after going to Neshoba, Reagan told the Urban League in New York, I'm committed to protection of civil rights of black Americans. So there you go. But, you know, it, this goes on and on and on, but, you know, the important thing is to note that I, you know, I, I don't think that Donald Trump is, is, is outright racist. I, you know, it's just that he's, uh, you know, he's questioning everything going on and saying, why, what the hell is going on? You know, we're losing our culture. We're losing our country. You know, we're losing everything. You know, and he says he doesn't want to lose it anymore. I, I can understand that. You know, but <clears throat> Donald Trump. Doesn't mean words, you know. And uh, for that, he's he's liked by many people. Oh God, you know it was amazing. Um, yeah, the Connecticut economy is moving sideways. It's not moving at all. Yeah, you live in Connecticut. I'm sure a lot of com- a lot of states are the same way.
There's some interesting news today that I, I found. Uh, one is the second largest city in the U.S. is on the verge of being 100% rene- renewable, believe it or not. That's Los Angeles. But this is the most exciting thing that I heard today, and I, I can't verify it But um, other than through this particular article. But uh, um, if it's true, it's great news. And uh, very, very good news. Not for Hillary people or Democrats, but definitely for the Sanders campaign. Sanders campaign prepares for a run as an independent. In a move sure to shake the Democratic Party to its core, Bernie Sanders' campaign is not yet done fighting their revolution against the establishment. Not only that, you know, there's two million votes that, in California that weren't counted. Yeah, two million provisional ballots weren't counted. That's and they did the same thing in Arizona, the same thing in California, the same thing everywhere. Everywhere they did it, the same thing. You know, they didn't count the provisional ballots. They their election fraud was going rampant. I mean, and this is why Bernie people are so fed up, so fed up with the robbery that they said. And and for the damn Democrats to think that they, you know, they don't, they they can do this, they can rig an election for for Hillary. And that's a god, that's a horrible thing, and it's absolutely a horrible thing. And you know, for to think that that we are as stupid as that. I mean, liberals are not that stupid, and uh, you know, believe me, we're not. You know, and, uh, um, you know, damn, damn her, damn, damn the Democrats, you know, for, for, for doing what they're doing. And it's not, I mean, it's not to anybody's benefit that the Democrats are in power. What the hell? They're shady as hell. They're shady as hell. You know, they're not helping anybody out. You know, they're not helping unions out. They're not helping. They're all, all they're doing is helping themselves out and helping the corporations out. That's right. They're turned. They've turned. You know, they have turned on their own kind, and it's time now to turn on them. Uh, and I don't mean by Republican. I'm saying, hey, if Bernie goes independent, trust me, Bernie will take care of unions, and trust me, Bernie will take care of of banks, and he'll take care of everything. He'll he'll he'll, he'll stop this stuff. You know, he's gonna shake the shake up the country, start a damn new party. You know, a workers' party, a real workers' party. A quiet burst of activity from the Sanders campaign seems to all be guaranteed, but guarantee that Sanders will run uh, as an independent this election cycle. It's, fast, it's uh, all across the country. Sanders' core infrastructure of volunteers and paid staff are mobilizing to collect signatures and perform necessary paperwork to get him on the general election ballots in the state states. Officials highly placed within the Sanders campaign remain evasive and deny that the senator's plans at this time to run as an independent Bernie campaign uh, manager, Jeff Weaver, has stated time and again that they don't intend to go all the way to the convention. They do intend to go all the way uh, to the convention and make the case that Sanders should be the Democrat nominee for 216. But the the Sanders campaign is actively engaged in... um, and activities within the states that have no other purpose besides putting Sanders in a position of being able to run as an independent candidate against Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. If Bernie were to run in the general, as the uh, evidence of his uh, campaigns, actions point to, it could disastrously impact uh, Democrat frontrunner Hillary Clinton's ability to win against presumptive uh, Republican nominee Donald Trump. With um, present polling showing Clinton ahead of Trump in the general election by only six points, even a small split of Democrat, Democrat, Democratic-leaning uh, independents would virtually guarantee a Trump victory and presidency. And with divisiveness and disunity within the Democratic Party over policy direction and candidate choice at an all-time high, polling experts say Sanders could siphon off as much as 20% of the Democratic vote in a 30 in a three-candidate uh, general election. I bet you he could he could do a lot better than that. And many of Bernie's supporters have been openly and vocally calling for the senator to run as an independent, 
if he fails to secure the Democrat nomination. Citing unfair favoritism toward Clinton by the DNC under Debbie Wasserman Schultz, highly suspicious deviations between primary exit poll and primary results, Sanders supporters have made the argument that the systemic corruption within the Democratic Party will not allow progressive ideas and platforms to flourish if the party elite believe they can act with impunity and still count on the vote of the progressives. It has been reported that Sanders is privately supportive of this type of analysis, and his uh, coming independent candidacy will be engineered to force the party to the left going forward if they wish to compete against Republicans on a national level. Sources within the Bernie campaign, speaking on conditions of anonymity, say that the that Bernie has indeed been seriously considering an independent run and wishes to ensure the option is available to him by performing the necessary work now. If Bernie were to wait until after the convention to lay the legal foundation for an independent run, it would be too late. It is this fact that uh, explains the Sanders campaign's actions toward inclusion uh, on state ballots as an independent at this time, as an independent. So there you go, folks. That's the uh, that's the latest news. Um, Bernie Sanders refuses to concede nomination to Hillary. Bernie Sanders doesn't doesn't owe the Democratic Party a thing. And uh, eight Sanders Democrats are running for Congress tomorrow. Huh. That's interesting. Now we'll see we'll see what happens. I guess one of them didn't make it. I don't know if the others did. I know only one one didn't I heard. But there were eight of them, so we'll see. These are people that Bernie endorsed for Congress. That's very good. feels about this, but, uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this later, <clears throat> this other article later, but right now I want to talk about uh, uh, the good, uh, uh, good, say goodbye to the superdelegates, yeah, this year's poobahs uh, better make the most of their exalted superdelegate status. Because what's gonna what's gonna happen is um, oh, this is this article is uh, from the Hill by the way yeah. comes every comes up this article was written just a couple of days ago on uh, just Tuesday two days ago. It says, say goodbye to superdelegates. Well, Bernie Sanders will not be the Democratic nominee in 2016, but his amazingly successful candidacy will nevertheless have a lasting impact on the Democratic Party in many ways, starting with the elimination or at least the political castration of superdelegates. Well, I like that, but I'll tell you something. I I think that, uh, I don't think, I don't think that... uh, Hillary is going to make it to the convention. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. And if she does, I think Bernie will be leaving uh, the convention and start his own. And that will be the end of that. But um, uh, Yes, there are still many diehards among the party elite who defend the role of superdelegates, but the tide is running against them, and it's not just led by Sanders. In recent days, House Democrat leader Nancy Pelosi and Senator Elizabeth Warren have both spoken out against the privileged class, and Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard 
Gabbard from Hawaii uh, has launched a um, an online petition against superdelegates. And the State Democratic Party of Maine, Mont- Vermont, uh, Colorado, Utah, Alaska, Washington, West, uh, Wisconsin, and West Virginia have all passed resolutions calling for the end of superdelegates in 2020. But that's in 2020. How about doing it now? Huh? How about 216? Let's get rid of those bastards now. In other words, this year's poobahs have better make the most of their exalted superdelegate status here. They're going to they're, they're, they're kill themselves. I mean, they, they're going to kill their party. And that, that's, a, that's the end of it. Sanders is right in arguing that the primary system is rigged against him. It is. And that, in fact, is why the Democrat National Committee created the position of superdelegates in 1982. It was to save the party from some outsider like Sanders or Howard Dean in case party elders uh, needed to step in and override the popular vote. <laughs> Howard Dean. He turned out to be one of them. He became the chairman of the Democratic National Committee for crying out loud after he, uh, uh, you know, corralled all the anti-war people into into his uh, uh, campaign and then, uh, you know, dropped out after New Hampshire. I mean, what, what a what a freaking Yahoo he was! And he sold everybody out. To, uh, it just it's just uh, terrible. And that's why I was afraid of Sanders to begin with. And uh, you know. I'm glad to hear that he is running uh, straight forward and he's going to run an independent. I told him, I, I said this early on, and uh, wrote it down and many, many, a year ago um, or more, that he should run as an independent, not not as a Democrat. But hey, he's always been an independent. Why, you know, why bother? But this year, hang on one second here, hang on. But this year, it was even worse. More than 400 superdelegates openly pledged their support to Clinton, even before one vote was cast in the primaries. And on June 6, enough superdelegates endorsed Clinton to make her the party's presumptive nominee. Uh, just hours before voters in uh, California, New Jersey, and New Mexico, and South Carolina, and Montana had a chance to vote, thereby sending a clear message we don't care what the people want. We superdelegates will decide the party's nominee. <laughs> if we want to be hard to fix, the, it, it won't be hard to fix the superdelegate problem. You don't have to eliminate them. You can still give an honorary convention seat to members of Congress, governors and mayors, but they should be required to cast their votes in the same relative proportion as decided by the voters of their state. And in other words, let the people decide. That's the rule that uh, that's always in effect for the Republican Party. It's called democracy. But today, there's no democracy in the Republican Party than in the Democratic Party. Uh, so that's uh, that's a Democrat uh, that Bill Press uh, wrote that, and um, pretty bizarre. But yeah, I think he sees. I think he's, he's seeing the handwriting on the wall. But I don't think, you know, he's a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, and he's uh, a hookup crook, you know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anymore, folks. I just get weird. There you go. Let me let me listen. Let me read this one. This this. I, I posted this over a year ago, um, but uh, stuff comes back to haunt you sometimes, especially on Facebook. I thought it was kind of interesting. U.S. Muslim base basketball players demand Americans create special Muslim uniforms for them. This is a girls' team. In their continued effort to avoid assimilating with American culture, Muslims are winning battles all across the country in, in enforcing small and forcing small businesses, restaurants, colleges, and retailers to comply with their oppressive Sharia law. Sharia law. Uh, but <clears throat> excuse me, Allah. But according to a recent report, Sharia law has snuck into yet another popular facet of American life: community and school sports. Thanks to the help of the University of Minnesota Design School 
and the Tucker Center of Research on Girls and Women in Sports, female Muslim teenagers will now be less hindered by their oppressive jihadis after the two groups collaborated to design an Islam-compliant basketball uniform for Muslim girls. It wouldn't be able to do moves or anything because of my skirt, and every time I run, my rap will keep falling, uh, said uh, Shihal Ali, a point guard for her Cedar Riverside basketball team, who was happy with the introduction of slightly less suffocated uh, uniforms for the Muslims, young girls. According to a local news report, grant money from an unknown source allowed the University of Minnesota to prototype two different Islam-compliant uniforms, a red one and an alternative color of blue and black. Highlights of the new uniforms include a tighter hijab and a long tunic and leggings. Members of the community have banded together to sew the uniforms for the Somalian Muslim refugees dumped in Minneapolis and other cities and towns across the United States by the Obama administration. Now we wait to see how long it takes before they demand that the concession stand stock only uh, halal meats. Okay, I guess so. And uh, share this on Facebook and so on and so forth. But it's a, it's a kind of an interesting uh, thing going on. But... Uh, this, uh, this this article came out last year, but they're still doing stuff like that, trying to comply. Um, this um, this came up the other day. Overwhelming evidence shows path is clear. It's time to ditch industrial agriculture for good. Interesting, huh? Uh, we, I like to discuss uh, environmental and health issues uh, you know, every every week on this. And uh, it says overwhelming evidence shows path is clear. It's time to ditch industrial agriculture for good. New report looks at why, given negative outputs, a massive shift to the agroecological approaches hasn't yet taken hold. If you can count a successful, uh, uh, if you can count as successes increased greenhouse gases, ecosystem degradation, um, rises in hunger and obesity, and unbalanced power um, in food systems, then industrial agriculture has done one heck of a job. It's according to a panel of experts whose new whose new report from uniformity to diversity a a paradigm shift from industrial agriculture to diversified agroecological systems calls for a breaking breaking the chains and locks uh, monoculture and industrial scale feedlots to the dominant farming systems in order to unleash truly sustainable approaches, one that uses holistic strategies, eschew chemical inputs, foster biodiversity, and um, ensure farmers' livelihoods. Uh, As the author is right, the evidence in favor of major transformation of our food system is now overwhelming. The new publication for the International Panel of Experts in Sustainable Food Systems, released Thursday, uh, compares that two opposing methods of agriculture systems look at why, uh, given the negative outcome of out, negative outcomes of outcomes of industrial agriculture, it remains in place, and uh, suggests paths to, to how to move toward widespread adoption of agroecological systems. Many of the problems in food systems are linked specifically to the uniformity uh, at the heart of the industrial agriculture and its reliance on chemical fertilizers and pesticides, stated Oliver DeScooter, um, De Shutter rather, uh, former UN Special Rapporteur uh, on the right to food and leader of the panel. 
simply uh, tweaking industrial agriculture will not provide long-term uh, solutions to the multiple problems it generates. So essentially, um, you know, this, this, these huge commercial euro uh, or ecological uh, uh, farming uh, is pretty questionable. It is questionable. Uh, let's see. Yeah, if, if you can do all this without pesticides, if you can do commercial farming without pesticides, I don't, I don't know if you can uh, on a large scale. You know. Oh, uh, ISIS announced the, the Florida threat three days ago, and uh, we we will. They said we will attack Florida. Isn't that odd that uh, they knew about it? They knew the guy was going to do it, but nobody knew who it was, man, until it happened. Even though the guy had been picked up twice, you know, there's something wrong here. Something wrong. Really, really wrong. Oh. Uh, okay, interesting. Obama willingly met Islamic preacher who says gays are forbidden by the Quran. Yeah. Amazing, huh? Ah. President Barack Obama chose to publicly meet with an Islamic preacher in February who said that the um, Quran declares gay sex a despised act. It is a, it is harem. It is forbidden in Islam, uh, completely and absolutely. The meeting in Baltimore came shortly after Breitbart uh, published the Islamic clerics' orthodox denigrations of gays, which was uh, posted on YouTube. It also came after uh, Breitbart uh, asked Obama. Uh, Obama's gay political allies to comment on the Islamic uh, cleric statements. He said, you are transgressing people, and the cleric Iman Asham Shakai says, I lost my place here. I'm sorry, the page just jumped. I, uh, If you go through it all, it looks like, you know, the, the whole thing is basically a sham. It's kind of a sham. Obama's a sham. Real, real sham. You're never going to find out what goes on in foreign policy. If you're out there, it's probably all like Hillary where it's bought and paid for. You rub my back, I'll rub yours. But anyway, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one go because uh, it's kind of long, and it's the ultimate hypocrisy. <laughs> The ultimate, ultimate hypocrisy. There we go. Gays must die, says Speaker at Orlando Mosque. I mean, what the hell, you know? Here these people are... Killing homosexuals is a compassionate thing to do in Islam, I guess. I got a two-minute speech by this nutball. Let's, uh, let's kind of hear it. you won't see anywhere else. A Muslim scholar says killing homosexuals is a compassionate thing to do. 
and he's just hours away from speaking at an Islamic center right here in Central Florida. Channel 9's Field Sutton's been trying to find out why the group invited him to Sanford. Off camera, one of the people who is a member here told me that Sheikh Farouk Saskalashvar's speech last night on women's issues was well received and not particularly controversial, but we already know that many people in the Sanford area and around Central Florida are upset about what is coming tonight. Yeah, I'll ask him. Seminole County resident Alan Kornman told Eyewitness News he couldn't believe what a simple Google search turned up about the man speaking at this Islamic Center tonight. It's appalling. In fact, it's inciting violence against gays, and I find that reprehensible. Dr. Farouk Sakalashvar lives in Iran, according to his online bio, and he's been condemning homosexuals since at least 2013. That is the sentence of me, nothing to be embarrassed about this. He admits the Islamic death sentence applies in limited circumstances and is not applicable under U.S. law. But he also says the only way gays and lesbians can be forgiven is to die. Well, we have to have that compassion for people. With homosexuality the same. Out of compassion, let's get rid of him now. I asked Reverend Brian Fullwider of the Interfaith Council of Central Florida what he thinks about Sakalashvar's rhetoric. These issues around homosexuality um, and, and the, the crying of it or denouncing of it by religion takes away often from our really important tasks of helping our community. He told me he wishes congregations would focus on helping the poor, the homeless, and the abused instead of persecuting a group that can take care of itself. In Sanford Field Sutton, Channel 9 Eyewitness News. Now, in the past hour, we spoke with one of the leaders from the Husseini Islamic Center, and he says he believes the center has a right to have anyone speak on any topic, and he emphasized it's a private event. Well, so much for that. It's a private event. Well, there's another hateful guy. Netanyahu, yeah, bans tens of thousands of Muslims from entering Israel following an attack. Amazing. Yeah. This is a video here, too, so let's see it. Where are we? took it down. Appears that they took it down. This is the overpasses for America, standing with the Constitution. Oh, here it is. I don't know. They're going to have a video. Honda knows that efficiency has its advantages. website it's got Congress, uh, or to before his Congress, I think. 
singing. The Middle East stands at a fateful crossroads, for an epic battle is now underway between tyranny and freedom. And like all of you, I pray that the peoples of the region choose the path less traveled, the path of liberty. Israel has always embraced this path. In a region where women are stoned, gays are hanged, Christians are persecuted, Israel stands out. It is different. We have a free press, independent courts, an open economy. Courageous Arab protesters are now struggling to secure these very same rights for their peoples, for their societies. We're proud in Israel that over one million Arab citizens of Israel have been enjoying these rights for decades. Of the 300 million Arabs in the Middle East and North Africa, only Israel's Arab citizens enjoy real democratic rights. I want you to stop for a second and think about that. Of those 300 million Arabs, less than one half of 1% are truly free and they're all citizens of Israel. This startling fact reveals the basic truth. Israel is not what is wrong about the Middle East. Israel is what is right about the Middle East. Uh, 
uh, and one step on the slippery slope toward Marxism. Yeah, well, you know, that's not true, okay? That's not true. Millennials don't remember a threatening Soviet Union or a Soviet Union, he added. Uh, Of course they do. This guy is such a fool, you know, that he's such a, a fool. And he ends by by uh, calling everybody as a millennial little babies, and you know you don't know what to do on you know you know uh, i I wouldn't promote him, but there's you know he's got and finally <laughs> new rule every- he's got five minutes of of mockery here. let's listen to him everyone has to admit that even though Bernie Sanders didn't win the nomination, he's already won the future now. Now, last week in this space, I talked about how socialism was something America needs more of to curtail capitalism because the profit motive creates horrible incentives like keeping people sick, putting too many of them in jail. If you say the word socialism to people under 40, the reaction is night and day from that of baby boomers for whom socialism has always been seen as communism's gay cousin. (laughs) But for millennials, the word socialism doesn't conjure up images of Stalin and Castro. It conjures up images of naked Danish people on a month-long paid vacation. Millennials don't remember a threatening Soviet Union or any Soviet Union. The only time they've ever had to crouch under a desk was to go down on their teacher. (laughs) That's really socialism. That's (laughs) Santaism. And look, no one is arguing that millennials haven't gotten a rotten deal in this economy, but They've also gotten too used to getting shit for free. We <laughs> plans, mom and dad still paying the car insurance, and almost a third of. Well, you know, I'm gonna tell you something. This guy's so so out of it. He's just he's the same as the he's the same as the um, um, you know the Democratic Party. That's exactly what he is. And the guy's rich. He's got more money than, you know, he's he's the top of the 1%. Right? And he's been on the air forever. You know, he's a worthless, and uh, not even, he's not even funny. But, you know, he's he's a New World Order guy, you know. He's uh, he's one of the guys, you know, and he can, uh, you know, come down after Bernie people. But, you know, this guy's, not, this guy's a baby boomer himself, okay? And... Millennials have a tough time. They gotta have jobs. They got, you know, uh, housing's expensive. Everything's expensive, and there's no jobs. And there's and and these guys are, you know, up their eyeballs in debt. And it, it, there's just no. And to come out and steal the entire election from Bernie and from his supporters, it's cruel. It's criminal, and it's hard to take. And for this jerk, Bill Maher. To, to be to to be belittling the, the the troubles of the millennials, saying oh they're just used to getting free stuff. No, trust me, this guy's a schmuck. He shouldn't be listened to ever. You know, ban him from all radio, television, wherever the hell he is. Okay, and especially the YouTube. And uh, don't listen to a word this jerk says, ever, ever, ever. Um, I never liked the guy. Never did I like this guy. You know, so, and now I dislike him even worse. So, anyway, no room for a jerk like that. Well, anyway, I'm going to end the show tonight with a, with a really good article. It says, Integrity Disqualifies Sanders from the White House. It's written by the New Yorker, but it's true. Um... Couldn't have been written back then. Now it says this thing was written September fifteenth, two thousand fourteen. Doesn't make any sense. Um, it says uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders 
political bid for the 2016 presidency was declared over on Monday before it even began because of a, of a key feature of the American political system which makes a person with integrity ineligible for the White House. <laughs> Isn't that true? According to some experts, the electoral system has developed a number of safeguards over the past five, few decades to prevent someone with independence and backbone from occupying the presidency. Bernie Sanders' failure to become a member of either major political party excludes him from the network of cronyism and backroom deals required under our system to be elected, said Davis Lodgeton, a political scientist at the University of Minnesota. Though that failure alone would disqualify Sanders, in fact, uh, that he is not beholden to a major corporate interest or investment bank, would also make him ineligible. So because of his ineligibility, uh, Lodgedin uh, said that Vermont Senator uh, would be unable to fundraise the $1 billion required under the current system to run for president. The best source of a billion dollars is billionaires, and Sanders has alienated them. He said clearly he didn't think this through. Uh, but Lodgson said that Sanders might persist in his quest for the White House, uh, despite his ineligibility, <laughs> but that such an effort would be doomed to fail. Well, our political system has been refined over the years, specifically to keep people like Bernie Sanders out of the White House, he said, and the system works. Yeah, it sure does. It has been working just like that. But, you know, at the same time, we don't care because Bernie's going to go independent. Yes, he is. Now, here's the last uh, final thing uh, for tonight. Probably the most sickening of it all. It says, no conflict of interest with Obama endorsing Hillary Clinton for president. Uh, yeah. Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano just revealed that President Obama's endorsement of Hillary Clinton could create a major conflict of interest with respect to the ongoing federal investigations. Yeah. Hang on one second. I will play that. In light of President Obama's endorsement Thursday, Fox News' James Rosen is asking the tough questions. Previously, the president has used one public forum or another to comment on the FBI investigation into Mrs. Clinton and her email conduct. At one point, he stated that, as far as he could see, there was no real uh, damage done to national security. You yourself, from this podium, have suggested that the investigation wasn't trending toward any uh, focus on Mrs. Clinton herself. I wonder if... Uh, you could address for us um, the potential conflict of interest that might exist when the President of the United States, the head of the executive branch, is openly saying, I want this woman to succeed me in the Oval Office, uh, and you have other employees of the executive branch, career prosecutors, FBI agents working this case, who now have just heard how the President wants to see this case resolved, in essence. Isn't there some conflict there? Uh, James, there's not. Back in April, Obama promised Hillary wouldn't receive special treatment. I guarantee that there is no political influence in any investigation conducted by the Justice Department or the FBI, not just in this case, but in any case. And Nobody gets treated differently when it comes to the Justice Department. Judge Napolitano explained why this is a conflict of interest. Well, it, it not only says to Comey and Lynch, I know you're investigating somebody, but I really want her to succeed me. Right. It says the same thing to the FBI agents in the field. So these people are saying, well, our, our work could now be nullified because of the president's political wishes. He's sure. not saying stop investigating her. He's not saying we're not going to present this to a grand jury. But how can we continue with this investigation knowing that our boss wants this person who's the target sure. of the investigation to succeed him? That's called a conflict. The judge wondered if this bombshell could be why Obama endorsed Mrs. Clinton. Quickly. Some of the top secret information found on Mrs. Clinton's server was emailed to her by... President Obama. So he himself sure. participated in taking state secrets and oh, putting man. it in a non-secure venue. Might yeah. he have to be a witness in the case against
against her? And might that influence his decision about whether or not she can be indicted? There you go, folks. Hillary's a crook. Obama's a crook. They're all crooks. Ah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're going to end that tonight, and we hope you had a good. Uh, hope you enjoyed yourself. And uh, join us again next week, uh, probably on Tuesday and Wednesday night. And uh, eventually we'll, we'll um, uh, possibly tomorrow night, I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll see if we can do another program. Uh, but I want to thank everybody, and uh, have a pleasant evening. And check us out. Check this out. <laughs>